Right, that's a Greek word. I wonder if anyone would be willing to hazard a guess as to what it is, or does anyone know what it is? Looking at people who know Greek and and uh, they don't know what it is, so I hope I didn't get the wrong word. That's supposed to be the word for persecution. Um, now, does anyone want to give me a definition? Maybe that's slightly easier. In English is okay. Um, a definition of the word persecution. Any takers? Very good, very good. It's like he's memorised the Macquarie Dictionary. Any, any, anyone else? Any, any uh, other takers? What about in the... So that, that is true in a broad sense. What about in a Christian sense? What about for Christians? What, what is persecution? Because of your beliefs in Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. the devil gets inside those people, who, anyone who will hate them, because, of, because Jesus said you will be hated because of me. And, um, and so they are beaten, they are that's it's a lot of Alison in that and a lot of truth in that so that that's a great working definition of persecution this uh, word here appears in the New Testament 44 times and about two-thirds of those times it means exactly what David and Alison just said it's that idea of suffering for Christ when people are suffering for Christ at the hands of evil human beings but about a third of the time, this word's actually used in a positive sense because its base meaning is just to pursue or to run after. And so you can have enemies running after you, but we're also told to run after things as Christians. We're told to run after love. We're told to run after peace. We're told in Romans 12 to run after hospitality. And those two meanings of uh, this word point to a very fundamental truth about Christianity, which is that Christianity is not a passive faith and it's not an inoffensive faith. Actually, it's a faith that calls you to pursue things hotly, uh, with fervor, earnestly. And it's a faith that promises you that as you run after Jesus, you will find that you have enemies running after you of various kinds. This is the way uh, the Apostle Paul put it. The Apostle Paul, who was perhaps the most famous persecutor of the church and became one of the most famously persecuted Christians, he put it this way, all, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So if we are godly, we can expect persecution. Jesus promises persecution to us as Christians along with all the other blessings of being a Christian. Uh, we saw that in one of the verses that mum brought out actually last week as she was giving her testimony coming out of the Jehovah's Witnesses. This was a verse that was precious to her. Jesus says in Mark 10, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children's and lands with persecutions with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life now when jesus says that we will receive back all of these blessings 
with persecutions. The persecutions there aren't an unfortunate curse that comes along with the blessings of being a Christian. The persecution is one of the blessings of being a Christian. We just said it together in the Beatitudes. Jesus says, blessed, blessed are those, lucky are those, fortunate are those, happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. There is an individual blessing uh, of being persecuted, and we see that uh, in the, the completion of that sentence. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As Christians are exiled from human kingdoms of various sorts, they are given a warm welcome into the kingdom of heaven. Secondly, though, it's a blessing because it's a sign of identification with Christ. Do we remember as we were going through Acts, Peter and John were uh, pulled before uh, the Sanhedrin, and they were, were they flogged? I think they were flogged in Acts 4. They were told not to preach in Jesus' name anymore. And as they went out from there, they were rejoicing because they were found worthy to suffer for the name. That is, they were identified with their own suffering saviour in that in some way. And that was part of the individual blessing of being persecuted. But persecution is also a blessing to the church as a whole. And that is because there are always two actors at work in persecution. There are, as Alison pointed out, evil human beings. You could say demonically inspired human beings. And their aim is to extinguish the faith of Christians, isn't it? But then there is also mysteriously God at work in persecution. And God's aim in persecution is very, very different. It's the exact opposite. It is to ignite the faith of Christians and it is to bring to pass his purposes of salvation. We see that most clearly in the cross of Christ himself. This is how the apostles uh, reflected in prayer at the start of Acts on the crucifixion. They prayed, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, here are the evil men, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. He says, To do whatever your hand, whatever God's hand and God's plan had predestined to take place. One event, uh, the most horrific persecution that has ever taken place of the very Son of God on the cross, Two intentions, evil men who wanted to stamp out the faith once and for all, and God, who was actually going to bring salvation to the world through that same event. And that truth about persecution actually echoes in both directions through Old and New Testament. So you see, for example, in the, probably the clearest example of persecution in the Old Testament, which is uh, of an individual, which is Joseph. Joseph is a righteous human being, and he's favoured by God, and he's favoured by his father and for that reason his brothers hate him don't they and they actually sell him into slavery in Egypt they persecute him and once he's in Egypt he is further persecuted by being falsely imprisoned and eventually God works through all of this and he rises to be uh, the, the second highest officer in Egypt and when his brothers come down and they meet again, and we remember this great crescendo of that 14-chapter stretch in Genesis, and they meet again. This is how Joseph reflects on the events. He says, as for you, he says to his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. One event, persecution, aimed to destroy Joseph, but God's intention to bring about salvation. 
And then in the New Testament, we see it over and over and over again. We saw it in our study of Acts. Here's uh, one of those passages from Acts 8. It says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So there's evil men, persecution, and then the next verse. Now those who were scattered, what did they do? They went about preaching the gospel, and more and more people were saved. And so again, God's good purpose of bringing salvation. That persecutor Saul that we just mentioned became the apostle Paul, and he was falsely imprisoned a number of times. And here's how he reflects on his imprisonment. In the book of Philippians, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And then he says, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord, they haven't been discouraged from preaching, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So again, in this persecution of this man, the Apostle Paul, God's purposes to ignite the faith of other Christians were brought to pass. And what's more, you think about what Paul did when he was in prison. He wrote uh, a number of the books of the New Testament that have since then brought salvation to millions of human beings that we draw nourishment from today. So with all that said, today we're not coming to consider a group of people in the world that we pity or that we are glad to not be like. We come actually to consider the most blessed human beings on the earth. We're coming this morning to pray for the people who are near to God's heart, who are identified with their suffering Lord, who will be uh, given a rich welcome into heaven. In fact, to whom Jesus says belongs the kingdom of heaven, these persecuted Christians. And today we come to pray for strength for them and we come to be emboldened, don't we, by their faith, to have our faith ignited by their suffering. But I hope it's not just today uh, for us. And at this point, I've got to make a confession that each time this day comes around, I feel very convicted that during the year, I've not prayed anywhere near as much as I ought to for these suffering Christians. And I'm, I'm actually glad to know that that's not true of all of us. I don't assume that all of us are in that same boat. I know that there are people who pray very, very diligently uh, at this church for those people. But if you are like me, I want to encourage us in two directions, maybe how we could remedy that as we go out from here. The first is a mental remedy. I think firstly we have to embrace Christ's view of the church. We talked today about praying for the persecuted church as if it is a church over there that is persecuted. But of course, biblically, there is only one church. And if that church is persecuted, then we, as part of the church, are experiencing persecution. The dominant view of the church, analogy for the church, is the body in the New Testament, isn't it? A body with a head, Christ. That's got positive connotations, as in Colossians, where Paul says, as we hold fast to the head, the body is nourished and knit together, and it grows with a growth that is from God. But it's got negative ones as well, because the head registers all the pain of the body. 
as Jesus said when he appeared on the road to Damascus uh, and confronted Paul, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus was experiencing the persecution of his body. But then the body also suffers when one part of it does. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So there is one church and we are persecuted. We are persecuted uh, more severely in certain areas, but we feel that pain, don't we, as part of the body. So we've got to think of ourselves as one body in Christ. The second is a practical remedy. And that is, I just want to encourage us to embrace whatever suffering may be on offer for us here for Christ. Suffering, it seems, results in a deeper relationship with Jesus. As Paul says in Philippians 3, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. That actually as you suffer with Christ, as your life looks kind of like the suffering of Christ, you experience a deeper relationship with him. Deeper than just if we read the word and pray and get to know him. We experience something deeper in suffering with him. But then we also experience a closeness with our brothers and sisters through time and around the world as we suffer. As Jesus said, uh, after those, uh, that beatitude, he said, you're blessed when people insult you and persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you. And he says, because so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As you are persecuted, you're put in touch, you're put in line with those righteous prophets through history. Peter then says to a suffering church, know that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So not, not only when we suffer, we put in touch with Christians through history, but we're put in touch with our brothers around the world. And I wonder if, as we suffer willingly here, I wonder if we will experience a greater camaraderie, a greater fellowship with those who are around the world and are suffering. We can be quick to say sometimes, or to retort perhaps, we're not persecuted here. Not in comparison with the things we're about to see and hear. We're not persecuted here. I think that comes from a, a right place. But Jesus doesn't split hairs when it comes to persecution. What did he say? Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Uh, it's not on that one. Um, <laughs> um, Blessed are you, it's, it's not the extent of the suffering that is the crucial point for Jesus, but it's who you are suffering for. It's who you are suffering for. And I think there is great potential to suffer for Christ here. We will not suffer for Christ simply by calling him our Lord here, as uh, some of those in other countries that we're going to consider will. But if we live as if he's Lord, we might experience some suffering. I mean, you imagine if Christ was here now in the 21st century, would he experience less persecution than he did in the first century? Has that much changed? And so if our life is actually conformed to Christ, the more it is, the more we speak like him, the more we live like him, the more we can expect persecution in the workplace, at school, insults, lost jobs, lost opportunities. And so I want to encourage us to willingly offer our heads to the chopping block when that time may come. Suffer for Christ, suffer with the body, and maybe we'll find that we are praying more for them. 
Let me, uh, let me pray now and then we'll uh, sing together. Lord Jesus, we praise you for this truth that as we suffer with you, we actually get to know you in a deeper way. We see in the example of the Apostle Paul, the early apostles and the prophets and your people around the world even now, this truth that we are identified with you in as much as we suffer. We pray, Lord, that as we hear today from countries in which the suffering is severe and intense and in times state-sponsored, Lord, we pray that that would ignite our own willingness to suffer for you uh, here and now in the ways that we can. We pray, Lord, that we would really and truly experience that through tears and through pain as blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.